You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. My desire is to help you understand what we should think about when we fail in our battle with sin. Because a renewed mind is what transforms our life, right? Romans chapter 12, verse 2. My hope is for you to pick up from where you left off after your sin and continue your pursuit for holiness. So with that in mind, let us come to our main passage now, Psalm 32. In this psalm, David goes to the Lord when he failed in sin for restoration of his joy in the Lord. Like David, we also need to see God restore our joy after we have failed him. There are four truths in this chapter that I believe will remind us of God providing for us in our time of need. Four truths that will give us the strength to continue to wake up every day and fight the battles in our life, namely sin. So, Let's begin by reading the first two verses, okay? Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David comes to the Lord knowing that his sin needs covering, transgression needs forgiveness, and that he needs to be right with God. So to all of us here, the rest of this psalm will only make sense if we agree with David in our heart and recognize that we also sin before God even as believers. And therefore, need to be in right fellowship with God regularly. Now here's our first truth that we can observe from David's psalm to help us live for God even after we fall into sin. God's salvation is our blessing. God's salvation is our blessing. For Christians, especially those in developed countries like ours, some of the biggest obstacles of our faith are the comfort and conveniences that our society and nation offers. So much so that when we hear the word blessing, we may immediately think of physical and or financial gifts from God. But how often... As Christians, do we consider our right standing before God as a blessing? How often do we see the salvation of God as a blessing, as the blessing of our lives, the great blessing? Is it a weekly remembrance when we gather together here at the church? Or do we ponder with gratitude on a daily basis, even when we are at school or at work or at home? David speaks of three aspects of this blessing, right? The first one being he speaks of his transgression being forgiven. What is transgression? Transgression is when we disobey God, God's law, and commit an offense. We can assess ourselves by looking at how we transgress the Ten Commandments. Are we stealing money, for example, by not working diligently at our jobs now that we are all working from home? For, the most part, for most of us? Or are we downloading intellectual property like movies, TV shows, and software on the internet without payment? Are we coveting 
by comparing ourselves to someone else and their lifestyle or achievement or belongings, like what's in their closet? Do we idolize celebrities by knowing everything about them and becoming obsessed with their lives? David says, God sees our transgression, and yet he chooses to forgive that offense, that transgression you and me committed. Another way he speaks of this blessing is David speaks of his sin being covered. Here, sin in the original language specifically means to miss the mark of God's standard. And that missing has been taken care of, covered by God. Now, think about all the times you missed the mark of God's standard. Times where you failed to keep your integrity in the Lord. Times where you did not praise God wholeheartedly. Times where you did not stand up for the truth. Times where you did good things for others, but with selfish motivations. Within God's salvation, this too, this missing the mark of God's standard has been taken care of by God. And finally, David speaks of the Lord not counting his iniquity. Here, David conveys that God does not account his guilt anymore. His debt is free. All of us who've sinned, we know this and we feel this when we do something wrong. We have experienced and known the guilt of our sin. We know what we deserve. We know the debt we owe. But God's salvation took care of that too. So that's why we should say, blessed is the one who is saved by God. David believed and put his faith in the promised Messiah, and so he was blessed. We, on this side of history, know that this promised Messiah is Jesus Christ, and so we believe in him and are blessed. Dear ones, Jesus did not miss the mark of God's standard, nor transgress the law of God, but in obedience to the will of the Father, paid the debt that we owed by accounting unto himself our sin and then transferring to us his righteousness. That's the salvation of our God. David experienced the salvation of God in veiled glory because Jesus had not come yet in his lifetime. Nevertheless, David knew that God's salvation is what ultimately made him a blessed man. We must also, like David, remind ourselves that we are truly blessed because we have been saved by the perfect work of the promised Messiah, Jesus. In verses 3 and 4 of our main passage, David speaks of how the, the hidden sin in his life was deteriorating him, and the presence of God was making him feel uncomfortable. Church, how many of us are carrying hidden sin in our lives and living in agony over such burden? How many of us are afraid to come into the light and be vulnerable with fellow Christians? How many of us pretend like everything is okay when really things are not okay at home? 
We need to be like David in this regard, in verse 5, where he acknowledges his sin to God and lays out his iniquity and confesses his transgression. Why? Because he knew, as we do too, that God's salvation was meant for sinners like David, like you, and like me. That's how we must think about our salvation. It is our greatest blessing. It is the determining factor of what makes a man or a woman or a child blessed. It is, it is not our accolades or possessions or influence or reputation nor our health. It is not our relationships nor our familial legacy. None of these can surmount up to being the greatest blessing. Ask yourself, what currently competes with God's salvation to, the, to take the spot for the greatest blessing in your heart right now, today? What is it? When we think about the greatest blessing, when you think about the greatest blessing, what is competing with God's salvation? Is it your job? Is, is it your popularity? Is it your bank account? Is it your family? If you really treasure something else equal or more than Jesus Christ and His salvation, then you have broken God's law again by creating an idol in your heart. The next time you fall into sin, run to the cross of Christ and confess and the Lord will forgive your iniquity. You will find strength to not be disheartened. You will find strength to pick up that shield of faith again, one more time, to stop the arrows of the enemy. And you will be courageous again to pick up the sword of the Spirit, the Word, Ephesians chapter 6, one more time and fight the good fight of the faith. God's salvation is our blessing. Let's keep going. Verse 6 and 7. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. The next truth that we can observe from David's psalm to help us continue to live and fight after falling into sin is this. God's presence is our safety. God's presence is our safety. David had a confidence in being able to approach God. We just saw a moment ago that this holy God no longer counts David's sin against him. And because David confesses his sin to God, he's forgiven by God. Therefore, David has the confidence that God can be found by any person who is forgiven and lives a forgiven life. David then goes on to say that even in the rush of great waters, even when he was groaning all day, when his strength was dried up because of the sin in his life, it'll not kill him. Why? Because God can be found in those moments. Brothers and sisters, dear ones, how many of us feel like we cannot approach God after we have sinned? How many of us feel like God has abandoned us because we didn't live up to His standard on that day, that week, that month? How many of us 
start doing good things after sinning, thinking in some way that God will be more sympathetic towards us. Isn't it peculiar that no matter how many times we remind ourselves of the gospel of grace, unmerited favor, there are some moments like these where we will still behave like we are saved by our good works. You may be as filthy and hungry as the lost younger son who was ready to dine with the pigs. But the key in that parable by Jesus was for the lost son to come to what? His senses. So it is with us. God forbid we get filthy and hungry to dine with wickedness and evil. But the key is for us to repent, to change our mind, to come to our senses and approach God and say like the the lost son, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And you know the rest of that parable. The father celebrates. The father celebrates the return of his boy. In the same way, our heavenly father celebrates every time we come back to him truly with a repentant heart. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16 says this, Since then we have a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Dear ones, if you believe in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, then you can be confident that Jesus, who never sinned, understands. He understands the kinds of temptations you go through because he too was tempted in his earthly life. He sympathizes with you. He has compassion for you. He gave his life as a ransom, a payment for the debt you owe because of your disobedience, your sin. He died in your place and then rose from the grave as validation from God himself that Jesus was and is truly the God-man who satisfied the wrath of God against repentant sinners. He is the Savior of all people, the Savior of the world. And in this very moment, this right now, right now, Jesus is before the Father interceding for you as the great high priest. Jesus is praying for you to the Father. Therefore, again, you can have confidence to go near to a holy God because you're the recipient of the grace of God which saved you from the penalty of sin. And that same grace is there today to save you from the power of sin. You may be neck deep in sin. You may have compounded onto yourself all kinds of ungodly choices that made you stumble and fall in your walk with Christ. But know this, even with all the dirt on you and the stench of your actions, you can still go to the Father with a contrite And like a forgiven son or daughter, ask God to fill you with His Spirit, His grace to fight the sin in your life. 
to not lose the battle, to feel calm when all the sea rages around you, and truly live in freedom from sin, and have a clear conscience before God like David. How? Because you are approaching the throne of grace, not on your account, but on Jesus' account. God's throne room of grace, where His presence resides, is your safety from sin, because He reminds you that you are forgiven and gives you the grace, the power to walk victoriously, where you will love God and His holiness so much that you will start to hate the sin in your life. David had that confidence in the presence of God. So now we must ask ourselves, how many of us actually approach the God's throne of grace for help in time of need? How many of us actually do that? In time of battle against sin, how many of us do that? Some of us never spend the time to ask God for help, so we just don't receive His strength. If we don't ask, we're not going to receive His strength. And then, what do we do when the temptations come? We start to fight all those battles on our own puny strength, only to come out barely alive. Church, we must get on our knees and ask God for His grace to live victoriously every day. Because if we live on our own strength, then we will fail again. And again, it doesn't make sense. Why would we live on our own strength if Jesus' strength is available for us? In verse 7 of our main passage, David speaks of God as his hiding place, a preservation from trouble, and someone who surrounds you with songs of deliverance. All of those phrases aim to show that God's presence is a shelter that is available for us to run to when we disobey God and feel the weight of our guilt. Now, God doesn't just leave us in our sin by providing us a shelter or a hiding place, or in another way of saying, the shelter of God, the mercy and love of God, isn't a license for us to keep sinning. No. He makes sure that when you are in His presence for protection, He will then empower you with instructions for your next battle, how you should live your life when prayers don't get answered, how you should behave when no one is watching, how you should flee when temptations come, how you should think when the world promotes confusion and delusion. God empowers us with instructions in our time of need. David understood this when he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to prophetically speak the words of God in verses 8 and 9, which say, and this is God speaking through David prophetically, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and brittle, or it will not stay near you. Here's the third truth to remind ourselves after we stumble. God's wisdom is our understanding. God's wisdom is our understanding. 
It is a way of life. It is the counsel of God. God's instructions enable the Christian to walk on the right path. It informs our mind and inspires our heart to make biblical choices when we go through life that will help us to avoid sin, think with the mind of Christ, have a heart filled with the Spirit, and live in holiness. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. This is very familiar to all of us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools, fools despise wisdom and instruction. In Scripture, the fear of God has a direct relationship to having knowledge. And those who don't fear the God of the Bible, not just fail to have knowledge, but despise it. Think about our culture today. Just think about it. We have a society that is unable to adequately describe what is a woman. But then, in the same breath, fight for a woman's right to intentionally slaughter children in the womb. We have communities where people dress and behave inappropriately in front of children and think it is educational and inclusive. We have Christian ministries who are bent on making everyone comfortable that they forget to be the prophetic voice to the culture. We have nations that not just separate church and state, but also God from state. We have professing Christians who don't see as much value in the Old Testament or the principles of the laws of God for application today and are now deconstructing instead of contending the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. I'm saying all this because the reason behind all false teaching that creeps in and evil practice is the lack of the fear of the Lord. And like weeds in a garden, it has taken members of local churches and broadly the evangelical church from areas that were once black and white to areas that have now become so nuanced and gray on subjects like abortion, social justice, socialism, public health policies, and even, even the sufficiency and inerrancy of Scripture. We can check our own hearts on this by asking ourselves, do we believe the Bible sufficiently provides instructions to do every good work in any context for the Christian. We not only need to hold on to scripture, uh, scripture as our final authority in the matters of faith and practice, but we need to hold on to all the Scriptures, Old and New Testaments, as sufficient for faith and practice. We need God's wisdom, brothers and sisters. Anytime we have an opinion about... Any subject that has moral implications, we must ask ourselves, by what standard do I hold on to this moral position? Or in another way, what does the Bible have to say about this subject? Because that is where we find God's wisdom. It may not be as simple as just reading a singular portion. It may require hard labor for studying all the scriptural portions and then harmonizing them systematically to see all facets of the diamond truth. 
that relate to that subject. But the point is this. Anytime we rely on our own understanding to solve the problems in our life or home or churches or even society, at best, it is only a band-aid solution. Only God's Word provides real deep healing and real instructions for human flourishment. We need wisdom from God. If we have wisdom, we will have a victorious life with Christ. And if we want wisdom, we need to fear the Lord. And how do we fear the Lord? How do we fear the Lord? Deuteronomy chapter 31 verses 12 and 13. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law. And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. When we earnestly look to the scriptures, look at the scriptures and hear the preaching of God's word, that is when we will fear the Lord. To fear the Lord is to hear his word and put it into application. Some examples can be such as these. We must use the scriptures as our guide to navigate our marriages, our family lives, our parenting approaches. We must wear scriptural lenses to interpret our day-to-day experiences and even other people's experiences, not the other way around. We must tie ourselves to the scripture so that we are tethered to the truth and can clearly identify an almost true ideology as false. We must stand on the scriptures so that we will not get swayed by any wind of doctrine or lofty opinion raised against God's word, and then take every thought captive to obey Christ. Brothers and sisters, do we search the scriptures on a regular basis? It's that simple. It's a very simple question. Do we read the Old Testament? Do we think through Paul's argumentation in the book of Romans? Do we work hard, real hard, to understand societal issues through the lens of Scripture? Or have, or have we made up our minds through the lens of culture? Are we willing to challenge our opinions by the Bible? We need to pray for our world because it is so backwards right now. And that only happens because there is no fear of the Lord in the land. And we know this. When there is no fear of God, God passively brings about His judgment by having everyone do what they want to do, what they think is right in their own eyes. But here's another question that we can ask ourselves. How can the world know what the fear of the Lord is if the church does not look or feel or act any different than the world when it comes to morality, salvation, and the afterlife? Dear ones, ask God today to rekindle a fear of the Lord so hot in your heart that you would rather be ridiculed by every person in your family 
and in your friend circles, in your social circles, then disappoint God. Do not, do not compromise for the truth. Do not. Fear the Lord, and He will give you wisdom through the Scriptures. And that wisdom will instruct you and lead you in the way you ought to go. With God's wisdom, we can plan and strategize for our next battle against sin and see a victory. Verse 10 and 11 of our main passage says this, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The final truth we can observe from Psalm 32 to help us keep living for God is this. God's love is our assurance. God's love is our assurance. David was a man full of joy because he trusted in the mercy of God. He knew that the love of God was a covenantal love that God expresses with those whom he loves, similar to a marriage between a man and a woman. This was his assurance. And like David, God's covenantal steadfast love is the assurance we have in our walk with Christ. We can be full of joy because we trust in a God who keeps his covenant even when we have sinned as a believer. Romans 8, verses 38 and 39 says this, and this is the Apostle Paul, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you don't need to be sorrowful. You don't need to feel defeated. You don't have to think that you are a lost cause and you cannot change. God does not see you like that. Instead, God has expressed His love for you by sending His Son Jesus to live and die on your behalf for the praise of His glorious grace. And He has given you the assurance that His love, His mercy is never-ending and that He will keep you from stumbling. To my friend who has not put their faith in Christ, you do not have this assurance. You are instead currently under the wrath of God. You will face the consequences of your sin because you choose to defend yourself with your good deeds in hopes that it will outweigh all the evil, sinful things in your life. My friend, only the work of Christ is sufficient to account for your sin and give you a righteousness that will make you in right standing before God. So come to your senses, change your mind, turn from your sinful life, and turn to faith in Jesus Christ this morning. Church, as believers of Christ who have received this gift of grace, but have stumbled and fallen into sin this past week, maybe, you can still have a victorious walk with Christ this week. God's love for you has not changed. It has not changed since the last time you sinned against Him. Your fits of anger, your relapse into lust, or spreading of gossip, or a bitter mind, 
will not separate you from the love of God. Knowing that God's love depends on His character, abide, abide in God's love by being obedient to His instructions, just as Jesus instructed His disciples in John chapter 15. When you put effort with the power of the Holy Spirit to live out a holy life by, for example, identifying your triggers to sin, cutting out unnecessary entertainment, reshaping your social circles and conversations, changing your daily routine, and much more, you will start to abide in God's love more and more and more. And then, like David, you will be singing, God's steadfast love is all around me. Because now you are experiencing the tangible manifestation of God's love when you and God are in good, harmonious fellowship. Your relationship with, uh, status with God as His child never changes with your daily performance. But the fellowship you have with God does change when you listen or grieve the Holy Spirit that day and moves in a positive, good holy direction when you choose to abide in His love. Brothers and sisters, let me close our time here in this passage, in this psalm, by saying that you don't need to let yesterday's sin determine how you live today. You can be victorious in the Lord and live as a free man or woman of God. The next time you find yourself in a ditch because of the sinful choices you've made, cry out to God. Get help from your Christian siblings. And then remind yourself of these truths we've observed today. God's salvation is our blessing. God's presence is our safety. God's wisdom is our instruction. And God's love is our assurance. May the good Lord sustain you in times of sin and failure so that you may live to fight another day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today seeking your will. Lord, we know that even when we try our best to obey you, there are times we fail and sin against you and others. God, please forgive us. Clean our heart, O Lord. Give us a clear conscience to serve you. God, we approach your throne of grace on the account of your Son, Jesus. And God, Father, we ask that you fill us with your Spirit today. Empower us with your grace to live a life for the glory of Christ, where we kill our sin daily and embrace Jesus as our treasure. Help us to see growth in our sanctification. We want to think more Christ-like. We want to speak more Christ-like. We want to act more Christ-like. We want to be like Lord Jesus. Sanctify us in your word and by your Spirit today, Father. We bless you, Lord Jesus, and ask these things in your name. Amen. 
Thanks for listening. We hope that you are blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.